In episode 42 of the Guitar Music Theory podcast, you learn how to put together a live rig for playing gigs. Greetings, guitar engineers. I'm Desi Cerno. Welcome to the Guitar Music Theory Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about the equipment you need to go out and play gigs. You know, I have a lot of experience playing gigs for many, many years. That's how I made my living. And I've played everything from small coffee shops to uh, big dance clubs to giant ballrooms. I've played in the back of flatbed trailers. I've done it all. So I want to uh, share a little bit of my experience and help you learn which pieces of gear you need to be prepared to play gigs. This will include, you know, how to put a basic pedal board together, um, how to use your amp, whether or not to use an amp. I'm even going to talk about using a PA, you know, whether or not you should use in-ear monitors and that sort of thing. So before we get started, though, I want to remind you that you can head over to my website, guitarmusictheory.com, answer the questions I ask you about your playing, and I'll give you free custom video instruction calibrated to your current level. So not only will you get some free instruction and learn how to play better, but you'll also get on my email list so you can stay informed when I have uh, news and I release podcasts and videos and new training courses and that sort of thing. So head over to guitarmusictheory.com, get yourself enrolled in a free course, and get connected so you can uh, uh, stay informed about everything that's happening in the Guitar Music Theory uh, universe. Uh, you should uh, find a link in the podcast show notes, guitarmusictheory.com. All right, so let's get started. I actually have a couple of questions I wanted to answer before we get into today's um, topic. So uh, these are some pretty common questions I receive. One of them is whether or not I sell DVDs. So, you know, I've got some training courses available that I sell. Yeah, you see some of those available on my website. And, uh, you know, when I have uh, other training courses, um, I notify people by email. So if you're not receiving my emails, you will not... Uh, um, uh, be aware of the things that um, I have available. But anyway, the question is, uh, can you get those courses on DVD? Uh, no, I, d I don't use, D I don't, I don't make DVDs anymore. I mean, we just kind of live in a world where that's because DVDs are becoming, um, <clears throat> well, they're going extinct. So I only sell online video courses and, you know, it works out really well because when I make my online video courses, you can view the video clips um, online together with, you know, tablature or any neck diagrams. You know, I can put links to backing tracks that you can stream right there. And I can also put links to uh, other resources. Those of you that are familiar with my instruction or if you're familiar with my books, you know that I like to make reference to a lot of familiar songs so you can connect what you're learning to something familiar. So in my online video courses, I can put direct links to YouTube and stuff to say, hey, we just talked about the scales in this song. Go listen to this song and play along now. Um, so it's just really uh, convenient to have everything in an online course. I can't do that on DVD. I can't put all of those resources together uh, like that. So I like to uh, put things together so that you can sit down with, you know, uh, in front of the computer or a tablet or even a phone and you have everything you need right there in front of you. So you've got the instruction, you got visuals, you got links, you got tracks, you know, anything else I recommend is right there. It's just a click away so that you don't have to go 
hunting for that stuff yourself. So, so no more uh, DVDs. Uh, here's another question. Uh, someone says that they're following one of my courses and they are using uh, their laptop to play uh, the tracks and stuff, but they're having difficulty uh, playing along just because it's difficult to hear uh, the music from the little laptop speakers, you know, over the sound of their of their guitar. Is there a better way? And the answer is, of course, there's a much better way. So I don't recommend practicing like that uh, at all. I've talked about this in some previous uh, podcast episodes. You definitely want to get you know, invest in some better quality speakers for your computer, either something that you, you know, some powered mon- studio monitors, some inexpensive s- studio monitors so that you can hear the music better uh, and play along or even a Bluetooth speaker uh, would work well. Or my number one choice is get a really good guitar practice amp that has an audio and an auxiliary audio input and then plug your phone or your laptop or whatever into it so that you can you can hear the full range of the music uh, through the uh, speakers on the practice amp and even better yet you can put headphones on and connect it to the amp and then you can mix the level of your guitar and the music so it's really important when you're practicing that you can hear the music clearly you can hear the full range of the music you can hear the low end and the and the drums and the bass and the rhythm section and uh, because you need to train yourself to play in time with music. So you need to make sure you're hearing the music and yourself both uh, clearly. I also like like it when you can mix mix them together and have your guitar and the music coming from the same source because then you can hear your guitar in the music as opposed to hearing your guitar coming from an amp on one side of the room and audio coming from a speaker or something on the other side of the room. I mean, you can still make that work, but I really like... Uh, you know, when I'm really trying to zero in on something, I prefer to use headphones because I can hear myself in the music. So that's my recommendation. Um, There are many uh, relatively inexpensive small guitar practice amps that are great. I often recommend the Yamaha THR. It's like a desktop amp. It's just a great practice amp. But there are other makes and models that are of similar size and have the same features, you know, um, uh, headphone um, uh, output, uh, audio input, that sort of thing. So just look for something um, like that. You can find them online or at any um, you know guitar center or something like that. All right, uh, next question is someone's asking, uh, what do you recommend? For, what's your favorite tab site? What do you recommend? Um, currently, if you want uh, a good free tab site, I recommend songster.com. S-O-N-G-S-T-E-R-R.com. You can just go to Google and put in the Songster. And uh, I like Songster because um, they have a very good collection of all the popular guitar songs, if, you know, classic rock songs, that sort of thing. Uh, they're pretty, ac- pretty accurate because it looks like they're based on the official transcriptions. And it's also in like a little MIDI player that you play in your browsers and it plays back with... Um, some uh, MIDI instruments, so you can actually hear the tab, which is so which is so helpful to pick up on the rhythm and stuff. Now they also offer a paid version of Songster, and you can get access to more features like some player controls and stuff, which are useful. But if you're going to pay, I actually like the player better at UltimateGuitar.com. So UltimateGuitar.com is probably the 
biggest, you know, most popular um, guitar tab website, and they have, you know, thousands and thousands of tabs. Most of those are going to be user-generated tabs, and they're inaccurate, and they're just not always helpful. But they also have official guitar tabs, and which are accurate, and they're based on the uh, you know professionally transcribed um, tabs. Um, and but to get access to the best um, uh, of the official tabs, you have to have a paid account, but it's not expensive. So definitely look into it, particularly if you're someone that's playing songs regularly and learning songs regularly. It's absolutely worth it. And when you pay for uh, the Ultimate Guitar, I think it's a pro account, um, and you get access to all the player controls. So you can transpose the tab. You can you can hear it with MIDI instruments. You could hear it with some uh, real instruments. You could uh, mute some instruments and essentially create a backing track. You can uh, you can change the tempo. You can uh, highlight certain measures and loop uh, certain measures so you can practice them. It's really an excellent practicing tool and a great way to learn how to uh, play songs. Assuming you are at the point where you have enough playing experience that when you're learning a new song, you just kind of, you just need to know where the notes are and you can take it from there. If you're still someone that is struggling to if you don't know enough about guitar playing yet and enough about playing songs, then ultimate guitar by itself may not help you because you're going to need some more explanation about what's going on and how to play it. So in that case, you might want to work with a teacher. You're welcome to connect with me online. I give Skype lessons and help people uh, uh, learn songs. Just shoot an email to Desi at guitarmusictheory.com, and um, I can send you a link to my calendar so you can um, <clears throat> sign up for Skype lessons. Uh, or if you're on my email list, you know that I make recommendations and I have suggestions on how to learn songs, and I have some training courses to help uh, you do that. And the idea is to not only teach you how to play, but teach you how to teach yourself so that eventually you can go to Ultimate Guitar, um, get a pro account, take advantage of those features, and you can teach yourself any song uh, that you uh, would like. So, all right, uh, one final question here, um, and this is another common one. As, as people are following some of my suggestions, uh, which lately has been learn songs, uh, you know, as their song repertoire grows, they find that it becomes more challenging to uh, remember all of the songs and to keep up on rehearsing all of the songs. So this question is asking, you know, well, what do you do when you when you when you're for, when you forget songs or how do you prioritize your practice time when you're trying to learn a new song, but you're also trying to learn the dozen songs that you already learned? So so here's the reality. Um, as you start learning more and more songs, obviously some of them are going to fade from your memory, and that's okay. Um, I suggest that when people learn how to play songs that you memorize it because I want you to get in that frame of mind that the guitar players you know and love get into when they perform. I want you to be able to turn on a song and without looking at chord charts or tablature or anything, just pick up your guitar and play. Right. I want you to play like that and I want you to use your ear and listen to the music and let your ear guide you as you follow um, as as you follow the music. That's that's how you play. That's how everybody plays. Right. When you go out and see a band or something, they typically don't have tab and chord charts. Uh, in front of them. They might in some circumstances, if it's like, you know, a situation where, you know, it's uh, 
you're playing for a, for a crowd and you're taking requests or something and s- someone is expected to be able to, you know, lead the crowd and, and you know, a sing-along of any one of a thousand songs. Sometimes they have to have a notebook up there with their lyrics and that sort of thing, you know. But if you want to develop your playing skills and learn how to really play like a real player, you use the tablature and the chord charts and that sort of thing just to work things out on the fretboard. But then you've got to memorize it and you've got to play along you know, just using your ear. And when you do that, you get into a different frame of mind. When you are always looking at the tab and the chords, your brain is always in that mode where it's looking at tabs and chords. You need to get out of that mode into the mode where you're playing from memory and you're hearing what you're doing and you're anticipating the changes in the music, uh, you know, using your ear and you're feeling the rhythm. You need to get into that mode. So once you learn a song, look away from your notes and focus on getting in that mode. So I like people to memorize a song and make that your goal. And once you can play along with a song beginning to end, then you can say, I did it. And then you can move on to uh, other songs. And over time, yeah, you're going to forget some songs, but you're not going to lose the, the playing progress that you made by learning those songs. You're going to get better and better. Your skills are going to continue to improve. Maybe you forgot, you know, eventually over time, you may have forgotten some of the earlier songs you learned, but whatever, you still got those skills. And if need be, if you go back and revisit them, someone says, hey, do you know, do you remember how to play the song? You know, what, you know, such and such by so-and-so, you might say, oh, you know, I actually learned that a while ago, but I can't remember it right now. Well, you might go back and look at some tab or maybe just give it a listen and quickly rework it out in just a few minutes because you are now at that level of a player where you can, uh, you know, quickly relearn something like that. So, yeah, I recommend that for your practice time, when you sit down, work on the new stuff, work on the stuff that you're doing to kind of help you move forward and make that your priority. And then if you want to review some old stuff, um, you know, just for fun or just because you want to remember it because you like to perform them, you know, uh, go ahead and do that. Maybe you review an old song at the beginning of your practice session just to get your hands warmed up and then you start working on the new stuff. And over time, you're going to forget some things. That's okay because you're always going to be learning some new things. All right, so let's get into today's topic. Um, I have received questions. I often receive questions about, hey, what gear should I have? What amp should I have? How should I build a pedal board? Um, right now, I'm just playing in the garage with some friends, but we had an opportunity to you know, play once a month down at the you know, uh, local co- coffee shop or bar and stuff. But should we get a PA? Should I use an amp? Should I use like a, an amp emulator and go direct to the PA and that sort of thing? So... And I just recently connected with a uh, Skype student who is preparing for a gig he has uh, coming up in March. And uh, he was a little unsure how to uh, best equip himself for that. So we had a great discussion about it. And I thought, you know what? I need to do a podcast episode about this. So uh, you know that um, I have already talked about the type of rig you should put together Um, just for playing at home and for uh, practicing. And if you want to go back and listen to uh, podcast episode 28, everything you need to know about guitar gear, I kind of go over the basics that you need to know as someone who's just learning how to play. You know, get yourself a good practice amp and, you know, you know, make some basic guitar sounds and and that sort of thing. So, but let's say that you're ready now to go to the next step because, 
you're going to you're going to perform for some people. And I want to I want to start real simple and then talk about uh, what you would do if you had the opportunity to play on a big stage somewhere. So to start simply, let's say that you said, hey, I'm just having uh, I'm going to have a handful of guys that I play with and we're going to perform some music in my living room for some friends that are coming over. We're just having a, having a house party. You know, if you're in that situation, um, you probably could just use a practice amp, even if it's a little desktop practice amp, and maybe your bass player is playing through a little bass practice amp. Uh, maybe you're just using acoustic guitars and singing, and you don't need to worry about any gear. But let's assume that you're playing electric guitar and you're singing and you're going to have other instrumentation there. Um, in some cases, those little practice amps could work. You know, you might see a little jazz trio or something playing some dinner music and you might have some acoustic drums um, uh, playing lightly with some brushes or some of those uh, uh, those sticks that are called like, you know, hot rods or something. They look like a bundle of like long fireplace matches just to uh, cut down on some of the noise, the acoustic drums. And, you know, the bass player might be playing a big upright, you know, jazz bass. And then the guitar player, you know. Uh, would be just playing through a, either a practice amp or if they're using a regular amp, it's going to be a very small, low-powered amp because it's just you got to keep the volume down. Um, and usually there isn't any singing in that situation, so you don't have to worry about uh, a microphone or a PA. If there was singing, you might have one mic and a very small PA, maybe just one powered speaker or something uh, just to amplify the voice, and you don't have to worry about the other um, instrumentation, and that sort of thing could work in a living room uh, uh, as well, even if you're playing, you know, some pop and rock music. But let's say that you're moving to a bigger venue. You're like, well, we're going to play at this little bar, and, you know, it seats 100 people or 200 people or something like that. And, you know, my drummer is going to be playing his acoustic kit and using real drumsticks, and, you know, we got a couple people that will be singing, and so they're going to need to, you know, have microphones and um, uh, a PA system to amplify them. So what do you do as a guitar player? Do you just get a bigger amp and turn your amp up? Do you mic your amp? Does your amp go through the PA system? Do you go uh, direct, which means you don't use a regular amp. You'd use a digital device with amp emulation, and it would go direct to the PA so there's no you know sound on stage. So I would say in that situation um, that uh, you know kind of the first step would be go ahead and use a small combo amp. Um, you know, make sure that it's, small and low and low powered because a small low powered amp is still going to be plenty loud enough for playing with a drummer and uh you know playing with singers who are going through a, a pa um you know you may not know this about amps but gu guitar amps guitar amps were originally created to be like pa systems for guitars so, you know, back in the early days of rock and roll, when uh, performances were becoming more popular and, um, you know, crowds were getting bigger and bigger, they needed to amplify things. And, of course, the vocal mics were going through uh, the PA system. And uh, in many cases, the drums were not mic'd yet. You know, you think back to, like, some of the early Beatles performances and stuff. Um, and the guitar, the instruments, like the guitar and bass, uh, they were coming through the amps. They weren't actually going through the PA. Not like to, like today, 
you know, if you go see a professional concert, every single thing is going through the PA. Everything is mic'd or everything is direct to the mixer, to the PA. But, you know, back in the day, it, was, it wasn't that way. And so as, uh, as bands needed more volume, they created guitar amplifiers to amplify the guitar. And the reason why they were the wattage and the size they were is because they weren't just thinking about that amp uh, you know, being like a monitor on stage, they were thinking about that amp filling the whole uh, room or concert venue. And my point here is that nowadays that's not necessary because, well, it's certainly not necessary if you're just sitting and practicing at home. If you're just sitting practicing at home, you do not need an amp that was originally intended to fill a small hall. That's overkill, right? Um, so, uh, but even if you're in a live situation, so if you're playing uh, a small hall yourself, wh well, not a small hall, but like just a, a small venue, like a small bar or something like that, even some combo amps are overkill for that size room. And guitar players are no notorious for turning their amps up too loud, and then the other people can't hear themselves on stage. The guitar amp is bleeding into the vocal mics, and then the... Uh, you can't hear the vocals out front because you try to turn the vocals up and you just end up hearing more guitar. Guitar amps are very directional. The frequencies are very directional. So wherever the guitar amp is pointed, you're going to hear all the highs and the mid frequencies are going to be really strong. And then wherever it is not pointed, um, it's it's going to sound dull. And so there's a lot of issues with how, you know, it it would uh, fill a room and guitar players often set their amp down on the ground and it's pointed at their shins. They can't hear mo most of the volume is, is blowing right by them. They can't hear the highs and the mids. So they keep turning the amp up. They're taking off the heads of the people in the front row because the amp is, is pointed right at them. Everyone's complaining. They're too loud. The guitar player is saying, what are you talking about? I can't hear myself. And it's just a mess. And you know, you don't want, a mess when you if you're out playing you want to make sure that you know everybody you're playing with can hear themselves and you want to make sure that you sound good out front you sound good in the room you want to make sure that you can hear yourself too so if you're in a really small um venue you probably could just use acoustic drums with no mics on them a bass amp and a guitar amp with no mics on them but you want to just set them on a stand or set them somewhere where you can kind of get them up off the ground so that they're going to, you know, cover the room, but you as the player can hear, can hear enough of it and you're not pointing them at the vocal mics or something. Your vocal mics can go in the PA. Again, this is, this is assuming you're in a really small room where it's not necessary. You're in a small room and the noise you make on stage is going to fill the room. You don't need to mic the drums because the, the, you know, Everyone's going to hear the drums. There's no need to put a mic on it. And you don't need to mic your amp because the room is so small that as soon as you start playing through the amp, everyone in the room is going to is going to hear it. So what's the point of putting your your uh, guitar amp through a PA? So in that situation, just simplify things. Give your singer or your singers uh, a mic and you can use amps. Keep the levels as low as possible so that everyone can hear themselves and so it sounds good in the room or it sounds good out front. Um, that would be um, uh, my recommendation. Now, you know what? Before we talk about how you would move into a, what you would do in a bigger and bigger room, let's talk specifically about 
okay, well, um, what kind of guitar sounds do you need? Okay, um, I've been really surprised to see that some of my students who had connected with me because they wanted some uh, help um, getting prepared for a gig had a small combo amp, uh, in some cases that was a one-channel amp that just had a clean channel, and they had a guitar, and that was their rig. And they're trying to play songs that you would typically see on a you know a classic rock cover band set list or something. There might be some Van Morrison or maybe some... Um, you know, Tom Petty, maybe even some Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, hang on. You, you're going to need to produce a variety of sounds here. So let's just talk about the basics. All right, you know, for and I'm talking about electric guitar. Acoustic guitar is easy. If you're playing an acoustic guitar gig, there's not, there's not really much to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, setting up your gear. Acoustic guitar can go direct to a PA and then just EQ it, turn it up and sing, and there you go. If you wanted to... Um, go through a fancier direct box that might give you some more EQ options or maybe uh, breathe a little bit of life into the sound so to, uh, to sound a little bit more natural, you could do something like that. Sometimes you might add a little bit of reverb, but you're kind of good to go. But if you're playing electric guitar and you're trying to play you know, a variety of popular songs, then you're going to need um, at least a few different sounds. And you're going to start with your basic clean sound. And so that's a clean sound. I'm playing through a Kemper profiling amplifier, which is, you know, the fancy schmancy digital expensive option. But whatever, the same thing still applies. We're talking about how you set up your basic sound. So, I, you know, you could get a small combo amp and set it up so that you have uh, a basic clean sound. And by the way, your, quote, clean sound doesn't need to be completely clean. Oftentimes, guitar players will kind of set it up so... Um, it's got, you know, a, a little, it's kind of like at the edge of breakup a little bit. If I dig in here, it kind of breaks up uh, a little bit. And that uh, oftentimes a good clean sound is not purely clean. And I have some reverb on here. You don't want to have a dry sound. Okay, you want to have some reverb. So breathe a little bit of life into it. like that so uh you need a clean sound and you need some reverb and then you're going to need some different stages of gain so a clean sound like this would work well if you're doing something like brown eyed girl right that'd be fine for a brown eyed girl And it could work for other things, too. Maybe if you're doing like a funk song, play that funky music. That would work well. By the way, I'm playing my PRS McCarty 594, and I have Seymour Duncan 59 pickups in it. Um, all right, so... That there's your clean sound. That's going to work on any song that has uh, clean stuff in it. How about one more? How about some My Girl?
nice clean sound. All right, so the next thing you're going to need is you're going to need kind of uh, some overdrive or distortion. And usually you'll start with a light amount. Um, some people call it a crunchy guitar sound, maybe something like this. Some people call this their first stage of overdrive. So maybe you're doing some Tom Petty, something like Refugee. So. So it needs to be a little dirtier, right? You're going to do a little bit of power uh, power chord rock. So that's kind of your crunch sound or your stage one. And then you will need a lead sound. So your lead sound is usually going to have um, uh, probably more overdrive. So it's a thicker sound with more uh, sustain, something like this. <laughs> Um, and what I have here is uh, I am uh, basically I'm using the Kemper as if I were using an amp. I have a clean I have a clean amp uh, profile as it's called uh, here. And then I went into the Kemper unit and I added an overdrive pedal to it. This is kind of like a tube screamer style overdrive pedal. So, you know, there's basically like two types of drive. You can have like an overdrive pedal, and then you have a distortion, and distortion is going to be a little heavier. And you might, depending on the music you're playing, you might want to have one of each. I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, so I've got my clean amp, and then I can turn on an overdrive pedal that's set to stage one uh, or kind of a crunchy sound, as some guitar players call it. And then I added another overdrive pedal, <clears throat> and it's actually the same one same type in my uh, Kemper unit, and I just increased the overdrive and increased the amount of mix, the, the amount of uh, pedal you hear to make it uh, more overdrive just to make it thicker and give it more sustain, and that's what I would use um, if I were playing a lead line. And that's pretty, that's like the basic setup that uh, most guitar players would use when they're playing in front of an amp and using a pedal board. You set the amp for a nice clean sound, and then you've got your stage one drive. Maybe some people call it the crunch, stage one, rhythm, something like that. And then you have your lead. Uh, <clears throat> and then, of course, you need to have reverb, and I recommend you have delay uh, as well. So I already talked about reverb. You know, you heard that, and, you know, you might be able to just use the reverb on your amp if you want more variety um, of reverbs and maybe a better reverb sound, you could get a standalone reverb um, pedal, and then you can get some room reverbs and some hall reverbs. Because, you know, different songs, you know, if you're playing something like uh, uh, Funky, you want kind of a small room reverb, but if you're playing something like U2 or, you know, Pink Floyd, you might want to have a really deep reverb. Um, <clears throat> so... Sometimes it's helpful to have a couple different uh, 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 reverb options. And then uh, delay is kind of necessary, you know, particularly for uh, lead stuff. I'm going to turn a delay on here. Let's see. Uh, delay is just going to help add some more depth, and particularly for your lead lines and that sort of thing. So...
right? So that really gives your playing more sustain and more depth and dimension, and that's going to help you sound better as opposed to, you know, playing with a dry signal. Right? It doesn't sound as good. Let me put the reverb and the delay back on. There we go. That makes you sound uh, like a rock and roller. So that would be the basic pedal board that you would need. Um, you could use the reverb from your amp, or maybe you use a reverb pedal. You can get a delay pedal, and you can uh, have uh, probably maybe two overdrive pedals or one double overdrive pedal or something, so you can set it up for crunch and for lead, something like that. Uh, <clears throat> there are many, many other effects you could add, but what I've described to you here are the essentials. It's the meat and potatoes. It's the things you absolutely need, and it's what you could use to get through almost any gig. Other types of effects can be nice, extra sugar coating, but they're just not... Uh, they're just not not essential. The the essentials are clean sound, and then some crunch, lead, some reverb, and some delay. For most of the stuff you would do, you're going to get by uh, just fine if you only have those. You might choose to have, um, depending on the music you're playing, you might uh, choose a particular type of overdrive pedal. Maybe you choose a distortion pedal. I can actually go to something that sounds more like a uh, distortion pedal, you know, if I'm doing something like, you know. So this is just getting more into the distortion territory if I was playing, um, you know, something like that. So you think about the music you're playing. Do you just need more of kind of a, a natural overdrive or do you need so, you, something that's more distortion? Some players might put one of each on their um, pedal board. I'm not going to make any specific recommendations on pedals. You know, you can go to the um, online uh, retailers and just search overdrive pedal, you know, distortion pedal. I would basically just recommend that you get something that's has good reviews and... Uh, isn't too expensive because you don't need to spend a bunch of money, um, you know, and you can just try a few out and learn how to use it, learn how to use the EQ and set the amount of drive and go to get a good sound from it. There are so many on the market. They're all very similar. You know, their differences are that, you know, I mean, most of them have like analog circuitry and stuff in them to create this sound. And the differences is just kind of in the, um, the just the, the, the way that they're EQ'd and the, the 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 particular character that they have. So, and it's just a preference thing. But in many cases, it doesn't matter. I could take a stock standard um, overdrive pedal, distortion pedal, reverb and delay, dial them in for my basic sounds, you know, clean, crunch, lead, and I am ready to go and play a gig. And uh, as long as I have a decent guitar and I've done my homework and I've learned my parts and I know how to play well, I'm going to sound good and I don't necessarily need to uh, uh, fuss over whether or not I should have uh, bought some other overdrive pedal or just distortion pedal. You know, I can make any one of them uh, work. 
And when you're in, when you're still at that point where you're kind of learning, still learning how to play, playing your first gigs, getting these songs down, you don't want to, you don't want to spend a bunch of time fussing over gear, for one, and two, you don't really have enough experience to know how to fuss over gear anyway. You know, get out there and play and get some experience. Allow your ear to develop as you learn more and more music, and then go back and maybe try some different pedals and see if you if one of them might work better for you, right? Um, you also learn what works best for you when you're out playing. You might find a, an overdrive pedal and you play it at home, unaccompanied by yourself, and you're like, "Oh man, this has such a smooth, creamy sound. I love this. This is my favorite overdrive pedal." Um, and maybe you had another one. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. It just it doesn't sound as smooth. It just sounds a little too, uh, you know, mid-rangey. And those mid-range frequencies are just a little too, uh, they don't sound so pleasant to my ears. But in a live situation where you're playing with, in a band, uh, those two pedals could sound completely different. This one that you thought was smooth and warm could disappear in the mix and it wasn't cutting and it didn't sound good. And the one that you thought was too mid-rangey or maybe had some frequencies that were too piercing, all of a sudden it just cuts through and fills the cuts through and fills the space you need to fill perfectly. And you're like, oh. So um, here's a pro tip. If you are setting up your guitar sounds, set up your guitar sounds while you're playing along with music. That's how I did it. Back in the day, when I played in bands, I actually would put CDs on into a little PA system in my place and turn it up loudly. Then I turned my amp on, and then I would adjust, and I would sit there, and you know, I would play along with... Um, let me change my sound here. I would play along with the song. So if I was going to do Tom Petty or whatever... <laughs> I would have that song on and I would turn it up and then I would tweak my sounds and I would listen to how it fit in the mix because I wanted to make sure that I adjusted the EQ and the amount of gain so that it sounded right in the mix. When you don't do that with music playing, you do things differently. When I'm playing unaccompanied, um, I want things usually to sound more rounded and oftentimes fuller and softer, but those will not... Uh, because that that sounds good when I'm playing by myself, but when I'm playing along with bass and drums and keyboards or another guitar player and vocals, you can't really have that same type of full rounded sound because you're you're it takes up too much space. It fights with the frequencies of the other instruments. It doesn't cut that sort of thing. Blah 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 blah. You don't really need to think about this technically. All you need to know is that when you set up your sounds, do it while you're playing along with music. So look at the songs that are on your set list, turn those songs on, turn them up loudly, listen to your, I mean, if you've got a pair of headphones and you're, you could do this through a practice, well, you don't want to, you may not be using your practice app for the gig. You're going to have to use the app you have at a gig and you're going to have to put some music on and listen to how the sounds sound with the music. There's your pro tip. Let's move on. You put together a basic pedal board and you've got uh, your sounds and your basic um, effects. And then you can just go into a small combo amp. And like I mentioned earlier, keep it small and keep it low powered because there is no reason for you to be turning up any louder than that. If you are, you're just causing problems. Um, and in many small places, small rooms, you don't even need to mic your amp. 
Just make sure that you set your amp up so that it's not pointed at people's feet. It's not pointed at your feet. Point it so that you're going to be able to hear it and it's going to cover the room uh, as best as as, uh, as best as you can. Um, and it's not going to interfere with the other vocal mics or it's not pointed at the bass player's head or anything like that. So all he hears is his uh, guitar. You've got to be considerate about the other musicians you're playing with. They need to hear themselves, you know, first. And you, and you also have to be really careful about microphones. Be careful. If you get mics for vocals, make sure that only vocals are going in those mics. So try to avoid drum cymbals, guitar amps, and other things bleeding into those mics, and you're going to make it a lot easier for your sound man or for yourself to run uh, sound uh, from stage. Okay, so let's say now you're in a larger room, and you're not going to be able to just fill the room on stage noise alone. More instruments are going to have to go through the PA. So now you're thinking about you're either going to need to mic the drums or maybe use some electronic drums and put them into the PA. You're either going to need your mic your bass cabinet, which is pretty rare. Usually in that situation, your bass player is just going to go direct to a PA. A bass can go direct to a PA and have a direct dry sound and still sound great in the mix. And then the bass player could use um, still use an amp on stage if they want to hear a little bit of themselves of the amp on stage. Uh, you could eliminate the amp if you had an in-ear monitor situation. We'll talk, I'll talk about that in a moment. And then for the guitar, uh, you know, you're going to have the same setup you had for the smaller room. You're positioning it carefully. You're staying staying away from the vocal mics. You're not going to take anybody's heads off with it, you know, by pointing it directly at someone sitting in the front row or something like that. Um, uh, and you're going to put a mic in front of it, and then it's going to go in the PA. But in this situation, it is so critical that you keep the stage volume as low and as controlled as possible uh, because so you're not fighting each other and, you know, the guitar player keeps turning up because the bass player is too loud and the bass player keeps turning up because he's too loud and the drummer starts playing his drums uh, harder because he can't hear himself and everything's bleeding into the vocal mics and you're trying to turn up the vocals and you're getting feedback and it just gets worse, you know. You want to avoid that situation, all right? You need, even though you're the guitar player, you've got to think big picture here. And sometimes you have to make some sacrifices, which means you can't turn your amp all the way up to where you think you get the best tone because it's going to cause two problems. It's going to cause too many problems, and you're not going to have the best sound overall with the band. Keep your amp lower. Maybe, maybe your amp is... Not you wish it was a little bit louder, but you have issues when you when you turn it up. Deal with it. You should be focused on sounding good overall as a band. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. So you can mic your amp, and you're in the PA. And this and in this situation, if your amp is not really, it's it's only there to be mic'd and maybe as a monitor for you on stage. In this situation, then it's not necessary that it's directed out in front of the house at all because people are going to hear it through the PA speakers, right? So in that situation, you could you could set the amp up a little bit uh, differently. You could do like set it up uh, so it's pointed at the side. It's not pointed directly out at um, uh, the audience. Or maybe in, now, maybe in this case, it is down on the ground 
and it's got a mic on it and you put a little plexiglass um, you know, shield in front of it or something like that to contain it. Again, just make sure that you can still hear it enough and make sure it's not too, so loud that it's causing problems uh, for other people. So when I played for years, I used to run sound from stage and uh, for um, a portion of that time, I did use an amp. I used a small combo amp and um, I was also singing at the time. Um, I would sing a lot of backups and I had my amp set up I was stage right, that's house left. If you're looking at the band, I would always set up on the left on stage. I'm, at the, I'm in the right corner. And my amp was actually right to the right of me, pointed right at my head. And, uh, and I would stand back a few feet from my vocal mic, which was also a few feet from the other vocal mics in front of me. And so it was basically kind of like a monitor for me right there. I kept it as low as possible so that I could just hear it over the rest of the band on stage. And then I had a mic on it and it went through the PA. It was when I stepped back a few feet from my mic, I was right in line with that guitar amp but the guitar amp was not in line with anybody else. It wasn't pointed at the singer. It wasn't pointed at the keyboard player. It wasn't pointed at the drummer. So I'm not taking anybody's heads off, although I kept it pretty low anyway, so I wouldn't have done that. And then when I needed to sing a backup part, I would step forward to my microphone. And now I don't have the mic direct. I don't have the guitar amp directly in my ear so I can sing. I had a wedge monitor in front of me at the time so I could hear my vocal mic. I don't have to worry about my amp bleeding into my vocal mic. So I was very careful in particular about keeping the sound low, controlling the direction of the amp, and making sure it wasn't uh, interfering with anything. We ran sound from stage. We got a great sound. We got compliments all the time. People said, you guys sound like a jukebox. I mean, we had a good band, uh, you know, strong instrumentation, great vocals and everything, but I kept the sound really clean and everything out front sounded fantastic. The guitars were crystal clear out front. And there was always that one guy in the room that would come up to me at the end of the night saying, well, I like to use a 100-watt Marshall. It's a much better tone. And, uh, you know, those little combo amps, if you don't turn them up to 10, you know, you're not getting those amps cooking. You're not going to get your uh, ideal tone. And it's like I'd just roll my eyes, and I'd be like, look, I get it. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you crank an amp up really loud, and, you know, you can get a really killer tone and amazing sustain. But here's the reality. It causes too many problems, particularly when you're in a small or medium-sized venue. And I'm more concerned with having a great sound mix overall where the guitars are heard uh, clearly in the mix than I am trying to use a Marshall on 10 tone, right? I, I would go out and see other bands play and talk to the guitar player during breaks, and you'd say, man, is my amp tone killing it or what? Because on stage, he had some amp, he cranked it up, he thought he had hit the sweet spot, and he was in love with it. And I had to break the news, and I said, i got to be honest with you, I can hardly hear you out here. Your whole sound mix it just sounds like mud. You know, I can't hear the vocals, the guitar's all muddy. And the problem was, is that the sound had gotten so out of out of control on stage, it was not possible to get clean signals of the instruments and the vocals out front and get a clean mix. And I never wanted to be in that situation. I wanted to make sure that my band sounded great out front. And I knew that as a guitar player, I would sound better 
if I compromised my tone a little bit but had a great clean mix, then if I tried to turn my amp up too loud and made made everything out front sound muddy. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, think uh, big picture. Okay, so um, let's keep going here. Uh, let's say you're playing, let's talk about monitors. Let's talk about in-ear monitors. So, I mean, they are used all the time now, not only by professionals in, you know, professional situations, but they're used in churches. They're used by, you know, amateurs. They've just become, everyone's got in-ear monitors, you know. When they first came out, I mean, it was like something only pros would use, but now everybody uses them. We got earbuds for our phones and everything. <clears throat> so let's talk about using an in-ear monitor system. Um, when you use in-ear monitors, when you use good in-ear monitors, you're blocking out the sound, right? Um, because the, the I'm not talking about using earbuds for your phone. I'm talking about like professional-grade uh, in-ear monitors that have the the foam or the the uh, I don't know the rubber you know inserts, so it's designed to uh, not only be high quality headphones but block out sound. So when you put those in, you're blocking out the sound, so you're not clearly hearing what's on stage anymore. And what that means is you're not going to be able to hear anything unless it's mic'd up, going into the mixing board and going into your in-ear monitor mix. <clears throat> so. Usually when you introduce in-ear monitors, it changes everything. And it means that now everything has to be mic'd up. Everything has to be going into the, uh, into the mixing board. Um, so it's not something you want to do unless you're prepared to, um, to go, to take it to that level, right? So now... Um, it, in-ear monitors are typically going to work better when you're in a medium to large size uh, room and everything has to be mic'd up anyway to go through uh, the PA. Um, and then you want to avoid having wedges and monitor mixes and all of that. So, But when you use in-ears, it's still critical as a guitar player that you are careful about your volume level on stage and where you're pointing your amp and and everything like that. So when I went to in-ear monitors, I was back in like, you know, the year 1999 or something like that. Um, uh, I was I I initially was still miking an amp, but then at some point, you know, the line six um, uh, technology was getting popular. And I eventually switched to a uh, they came you know, the line six had the pod. And it was, you know, you could go direct with the pod record or play direct to a recording console or a PA using the pod. No amp, no speaker, all that stuff. Um, and uh, I thought it was kind of neat as a practice tool, but I didn't, wasn't really impressed with the sound of the pod. It wasn't good enough to my ears. But then they came out with the rack mount pod pro. Um, and that that was kind of a game changer. Uh, it was definitely an improvement on sound. So I used that for a number of years, <clears throat> and that happened shortly after I switched to in-ear monitors. And what was great about that is that I no longer had an amp, and I no longer had to worry about miking it or dealing with that. that. So my bands at that time, we had a setup where we, we were either using um, – uh, we were either miking the drum kit and then all of the keyboards, guitars, and bass were all direct. The bass player was going direct to the mixer using, um, well, either direct 
to the mixer with nothing in between, you can actually get a, a decent bass sound that way. Or using something like a, a Tech 21 Sans Amp, uh, they make the bass driver DI, um, uh, which uh, has some added EQ and some added kind of amp emulation function, so you can dial in a little amp-like sound for the bass. Um, I actually have used that for many, many years myself when I play bass. Um, so no bass amp and no need for a mic for the bass amp. You know, the, uh, the guitar was going direct with the uh, uh, Pod Pro, um, so no guitar amp. And we didn't have any vocal wedges anymore. We didn't need to have wedges, wedge monitors for the vocalist because everyone was using in-ears. So we eliminated that. And, you know, those wedge monitors are another sound source that can bleed into vocal mics, cause, cause feedback issues, or just cause volume issues. You know, one, when you are playing through a PA, the, the sound the volume level of the PA speakers has to be ab far enough above the sound level on stage so that you can control what people are hearing in the room. When you have sounds on stage that are so loud that they're filling the room, then you can't really turn, turn the mix up in the main speakers above that or you're going to be just hurting everyone's ears. It's going to get too loud, you know? Um, and that's often what would happen in some rooms, you know. Uh, I'm, I remember having conversations with sound guys, and they would talk about some of the issues they would have and that sometimes they would have to turn the main speakers up so loud because the band on stage was creating so much stage noise. It was the only way the, the, the sound engineer could get some control of what people were hearing in the room, and there was this fight and this battle there. So you always want to keep that stage volume as low as, as, uh, low as possible, and those vocal monitor wedges contribute to that. So when you can take those out of the picture and you've taken your guitar amps out of the picture, it really cleans things up, and it gives you so much more control over what you hear um, out front. And then in some cases, uh, instead of micing the drums, uh, I would use an electronic drum kit, either a full electronic drum kit or a partial electronic, electronic drum kit. Even if you just use a partial electronic drum kit, that would be some electric drums together with some acoustic drums or some acoustic cymbals. You're still eliminating some of the noise and you're eliminating those, those mics. So, um, uh, for example, I played for a number of years where we used uh, some electronic drums, but we actually used an acoustic, acoustic cymbals, and we just mic'd the cymbals. We had a couple of like overhead mics for the cymbals. That was it. We didn't need any mics for the drums, and we had some vocal mics on stage, and we didn't have any other mics or any other speakers uh, on stage. Everything's going into the in-ears, and everyone had control over their uh, modern mix, and they could dial everything in to sound the way that they want. And it was lovely. Of course, you're cut off from the audience a little bit here because you not only block out sound from the stage, but you block out the audience. So if someone shouts out, play Brown Eyed Girl, you might miss it um, unless it they shouted it loud enough and maybe it bled into a vocal mic or something and uh, you heard it. That's why you would see so many performers, particularly vocalists, they're always taking their in-ear monitor in and out because they want to hear the crowd, you know. So you might end up doing that sort of thing. I played in some situations where I only used one in-ear monitor so I could hear the, um, uh, hear, hear the audience. Now, one problem you're going to run into with this setup is that it is more complicated, you're going to have to have a bigger mixing board. 
you're going to have to have, you know, monitor aux sends for each channel so that you can send, so that you can have a mix for your guitar player or a mix for your bass player and a mix for your drummer and a mix for singer one and a mix for singer two or, or whatever. So, you know, that, that gets more complicated. Um, you've got to have the in-ear systems. You've got to come out of the mixer, you know, uh, monitor sends into you know, wireless systems or something like that. So it requires, um, it requires more equipment. It requires more knowledge of equipment, and it requires, uh, you know, a bigger board. Probably going to need a sound guy or someone to help you out front because you may not know what it sounds like up front, particularly if you don't have a lot of experience with that. So it's not something I would recommend unless you're playing, you know, regularly in big enough venues where you need to do that sort of thing. And my guess is, is that if you're in a place right now where you're listening to this podcast because you need to get information about how to gear up for, you know, some of your first gigs, you're probably not yet, you know, playing in a place where you want to go in your monitors. You're probably more like a small room where you're going to focus on how to make best use of your stage volume and uh, use that to kind of fill the room along with some PAs, uh, uh, PA speakers. So, um, I talked about running, how I used to run my guitar direct with a, a Line 6 Pod Pro. And, you know, that technology has just exploded um, in the last uh, 20 years. And there are so many options right now where you don't even need to have an amp or a pedal board because there's amp emulation and amp simulation and amp profiling and digital effects and everything that are built into units. You know, Line 6 now has... Um, the Line 6 Helix or the Kemper Profiler amp Profiling Amplifier or the Fractal, uh, whatever the Fractal th thing's called. And these are kind of like expensive, super high-quality, um, you know, uh, units that you can use and you make presets. And, and there's even more versatility there because instead of just having a couple of stop boxes in front of you, you can have a variety of clean sounds with different reverbs and delays and maybe you add chorus or something like that and you can have a variety of overdrive sounds and a variety of distorted sounds and you know you store them and they're all there in the banks and you, you know some people will actually program it for the performance of their set they can go song to song and song section to song section and stomp on everything and they got it all uh, dialed in if you want to take it that far can get a little overwhelming and complicated. Now, thankfully, you don't have to. You don't have to get that complicated. You can use a simple setup um, with some basic effects and a couple of uh, stages of drive, and you can still sound great. And I see even guys who, you know, sometimes guys get all into that technology, and then I go out and see them play, and they're back to miking up a little combo amp with just a little pedal board. And I'm like, oh, well, what happened to your Kemper? And they said, you know what? I just wanted to simplify and kind of get back to the basics old school. And I'm like, well, man, it sounds great out front. I mean, your guitar tones sound great. Music sounds great. And you can still make a simple setup um, uh, uh, work. And if you do want to go direct, you don't have to go out and spend top dollar on one of the fan you know, uh, uh, fancy uh, units. You could do something like buy a Tech 21 fly rig. Uh, you can Google that. That's what it's called. It's The company's Tech 21, and the pedal is called the fly rig. And it's a long, skinny pedal 
um, that has a handful of things built into it. You actually fit the pedal in your guitar case. It's called the fly rig because they figure if you got a, uh, if you're a professional musician and you got called to go, you know, fly across the country to sit in with a band and do a gig, you can just put a guitar in the in a gig bag. This will fit right in the gig bag. Take it on the plane with you, fly to the gig, and you would have all of the essentials you need to cover the gig. The fly rig has. Um, it's got some amp emulation in it, in it, so you could run it direct to, um, direct to the PA system, and then you could monitor it through the in-ear system or even a you know a wedge monitor without having to have an amp and speaker and mic <clears throat> on stage. And then it's got you know a boost and some overdrive built right into it <clears throat> with some with some uh, foot switches you stomp on, and then it has reverb and delay. Uh, built right into it. And that's it. That's the rig. That's what I talked about earlier. What are the essentials? Start with a clean tone and then have a couple different stages of overdrive, have some reverb and delay. Those are the essentials. And that's exactly what they built into this pedal. It's all in one unit and you have some control and you can turn those things on and off. Uh, just with the foot switches, you can actually turn the amp emulation off and you could put it in front of an amp. So if there was an amp provided at the gig, you set the amp for your clean tone, and now you just use the fly rig for your boost or for your overdrive or your delay and your um, reverb. And it's a great unit. It's inexpensive. I'm looking at it right now at Sweetwater.com. Brand spanking new. It's $2.99. You could probably find some used on reverb. And uh, it would be a great way if you are new to building a pedal board and, you know, you've just got an amp at home with a basic clean sound. You want to learn how to use some basic effects like I'm describing, but you don't want to go out and buy a big, fancy, expensive effects unit, or you don't want to have to go out and buy a bunch of individual effects. You could just buy a fly rig, use it at home in front of your amp, turn the amp emulation off, and just learn how to dial in um, an overdriven sound and a delay and reverb and learn how to play songs just using those basic effects. Um, and you don't have to spend much money. And then you could use that at the gig, either in front of your amp, or if you wanted to go direct to your PA and eliminate the amp, just turn on the emulation, and boom, it'll emulate an amp so you can go direct to the PA. You would never want your electric guitar to go direct to the PA without either an amp or some sort of amp emulation because a guitar amp plays a huge role in producing the sound of electric guitar. And so you need that amp sound, either from a real amp or something that will emulate or simulate it. Now, some of you might be listening to this saying, I don't know, Desi, that Tech 21 thing, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of convenient and it's inexpensive, but there are much high quality, much more, uh, there are better effects that have higher quality sounds. It's true, you can get, I mean, <laughs> the Kemper profiling amplifier or the Line 6 or Fractal, much better emulation, much better emulation. You could buy standalone overdrive pedals and standalone reverb pedals and delay pedals that'll have more options, more variety of sounds, and much higher quality sounds. But the Tech 21 fly rig is decent. It can work. I've used it uh, myself in uh, live situations. My preference would be to, to bring my Kemper or something else, but I was in a situation where I kind of needed to use it, and it worked. And it was kind of fun to use because I'm like, gosh, this thing is so simple, and yet it can work. It can sound good enough. It can give you, it can get you through that gig where you 
can't use a real amp. You don't have to go out and spend money on something that's more expensive, and you don't have to bring a whole pedal board. You can just bring this one little unit that fits in your gig bag. So for what it is at its price point, it can totally be worth it. And it's a great place to kind of start and get used to um, dialing, dialing in the basic effects you need to play through a typical uh, set list. So don't listen to the naysayers that would be like, oh, there's much higher quality stuff. Of course there is. Just like, you know, you go out and spend $4,000 on a guitar. But do you really need to spend $4,000 on a guitar for a gig? No. You could get a guitar for under $1,000 that would sound just fine on any gig that you would play. So um, so you can c consider something like that and uh, you can um, use it in front of your amp or you can go direct. And going direct is is become more and more popular because um, for a couple of reasons. It simplifies things. It reduces noise on stage. It makes the mix cleaner, less gear to haul. And then if you... There are so many, you know, products on the market that can be used to go to direct. You can, you know, it's just taken over that technology. So there's just a lot of a lot of options there. I want to talk a little bit about playing at church because I know I have a uh, a lot of people that play at church. There's, if you're not someone that goes to church regularly, you probably didn't think about this, but uh, Christian worship music is huge. You know, you have artists that. Uh, you know, uh, are very popular all over the world. You got churches every single Sunday uh, while you're home at uh, asleep. I'm not trying to judge anybody because I didn't go to church for most of my life. I was home asleep on Sundays. But there's worship music happening, you know, and there's uh, millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world worshiping every Sunday. And, uh, you know, contemporary Christian music has become very popular. And so there's live music and there's tons of guitar uh, in uh, worship music. And so it's a big, big, big thing. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about because you do go to church and you play at church. And maybe that's the reason why you started playing guitar. So all of this applies uh, at church as well. If you want to, um, if you want to play at church, not only do you have to have the skills to play and be familiar with the songs, but you need to be familiarized with how to dial in appropriate sounds for the music um, and you need to know how to have gear to make things work well on Sunday mornings and make sure that you're not blowing everybody out with an overpowered amp, um, uh, you know, and making things difficult for <clears throat> the people on stage. We're trying to lead worship and, uh, you know, the sound guy uh, and all of that. So all of these uh, rules apply. I've been playing at church now. I started going to church about... Um, I don't know, maybe maybe 14 years ago or something like that, and uh, <clears throat> went for a few years and then began playing. So I've been playing at church for you know probably over 10 years now, and um, you know I when I play at church, my preference is usually to go direct because I want to make things as easy as possible, and because I've been lucky enough to be part of churches where we either had wedge monitors available or we had in-ear systems so I could go direct and I was able to get a monitor mix set up so that I could not only hear myself clearly but I could hear um, the other instrumentation as well and I know that the sound people and all the other musicians really appreciated that um, just how much easier it makes 
And then again, when it comes to dialing in sounds, it's still about the basics, good, clean sound. Now, when you're playing worship music, it's it, your clean sound is more important and your, uh, your reverb and your delays are more important because they use what's called like, you know, ambient, ambient effects. It works well for that style of music. I'm going to a preset here I have in my Kemper just to give you um, an example. Let's know how pretty this is here. Right? Yeah, so... Uh, clean sound is important, and then when you get to a chorus, usually you're going to add, you know, some um, some overdrive so you can drive it a little bit more. So. There you go. That's all I'm going to. Uh, say about that but anyway it's still about the basics you got to understand reverb delay and overdrive and get a good clean sound um, and avoid making a lot of noise on stage uh, a tech 21 fly rig could not only work if you're playing in a cover band and doing classic rock music you still could make it work even in a worship setting um, typically worship guitar players are going to use uh, a more a bigger variety of ambient effects but um, you can make the Tech 21 fly rig or something similar work. And you need to learn how to use those options first before you try to learn how to use um, uh, other options. So if you're not experienced, if you can't pick a handful of pedals and a little combo amp and dial in appropriate sounds for popular styles of music, you want to hold off on going out and buying something really expensive that's much more complicated. Because, you know, you can spend money and you can get stuff like Eventide effects and it's got like a thousand studio quality reverbs and delays and time-based effects and choruses and all this stuff. And you might think, wow, I want to get the best of the best. Look at the reviews. People say that this is the highest quality, most pristine sounds and blah, 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 blah. I should, I should probably get this. You are getting way ahead of yourself you, if you can't just take some basic pedals and set up um, basic sounds to cover songs. So in the same way that as you're learning your first songs and learning how to play and getting your playing skills in order, you want to pick you know simple songs and kind of learn the basics, learn how to strum those open chords and power chords. You're not going to start you know, with trying. You, you don't want to say, okay, I've never played a song before, so... I'm going to start with Stairway to Heaven and play every guitar part all the way through. You're getting way ahead of yourself. So same goes with your rig, too. Learn how to use the basics. Learn how to use them well. And then, once you have done that, then you can take a look at some other pieces of gear and say, okay, you know, uh, what other options do I have? What, um, uh, what else can I do here? So, all right, we have talked about a lot of stuff here. I'm kind of reviewing my notes. I think I've, you know, given you some good information and given you a good overview about things you want to take into consideration uh, and things uh, that you, you want to use. So, you know, just to recap, if you're still practicing and learning songs at home, get yourself a practice amp. Super small, low-powered practice amp, headphones, audio input. Listen to yourself, your guitar, in the music. Get those playing skills in order. 
Uh, you could even use that little practice amp like a Yamaha THR if you're doing a little live playing for some friends in your family room or a small coffee shop or something like that. All right, and then as you move into bigger venues, you're going to need to create a little bit more stage sound, and your stage sound is going to need to probably fill the room a little bit. But then at some point, as the venue grows and you play larger and larger places, you need to think about not filling the room with your stage sound, letting the PA speakers do that job, controlling that stage sound as much as possible and eventually you might get to the point where you're using in-ear monitors and you're running as many instruments as you can directly to the PA to eliminate um, eliminate the sound. So uh, that's my recommendation. If you've got any questions, you're welcome to email me, desi at guitarmusictheory.com. And uh, if you need help uh, specifically, with something that you're working on, uh, we can connect and do a Skype lesson. I do those regularly. This whole idea for this podcast came up because I just had a Skype session with someone where I helped him put together his rig for an upcoming gig that he has. So if you need help figuring out how to dial in tones with your pedal board or, or um, getting prepared for your gig, uh, you know, we can connect on Skype. It works really well. We can do that and just reach out to me and I'm here to help. And if you're still... In a phase where, you know, you're not even ready to play gigs yet, you've learned the basics of guitar, but you have not yet put those that information to use, you can't really play complete songs yet, go to the website, guitarmusictheory.com, you know, click on the option that says, can't play complete songs yet, I'll give you some free instruction and I'll show you how... Uh, how to do that and give you recommendations on how to best learn songs and, and get your skills together. I have other options there too. So if you're past that and you're like, well, I'm, I'm great with learning songs uh, or playing songs, but I'd really like to learn more about lead guitar or I'm ready to really learn more about music theory. So I have an understanding of what I do. So, um, you know, I can um, uh, be more creative uh, or just kind of, you know, get on the inside of music and really figure out how it works. You know, I've got some free courses for you as well. You can sign up for my free theory course, or I've got a nice free uh, course on soloing where I talk about how to solo uh, beyond scales and play musical phrases. So head over to guitarmusictheory.com, get yourself enrolled in one of those free courses. And remember that as soon as you're enrolled in a free course, you're also on my email list, so I'll keep you posted about any new training courses I have or anytime I release a podcast or video or I have something that you need that you'll want to know about. Uh, that's how I communicate with everyone. Most of the stuff is not on the website. I am an email guy, and that's how I uh, communicate, and that's where you're going to find out about uh, everything that I have to offer. All right, well, this concludes this podcast episode. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so already, please uh, leave me a good rating and leave me some positive comments. I would also encourage you to share this podcast on your social media or in any guitar forums or um, guitar groups that you frequent. The more popular it gets, the more regularly I will make podcast episodes. So uh, help me build this community. All right, thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more.